to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, resilience, anything that's relatable to those topics, and anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find. Just send me a message. Let me know what you want to talk about or what you'd like someone else to talk about, and we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone else to come on and talk about the topic you'd like to hear. I'm going to jump in to our conversation today with Regina Phelps. Uh, Welcome back, Regina. Alex, as always, it's a great treat, our monthly chat. And there is so much to talk about. I mm-hmm. know we just have to kind of jump into this. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, know, I know we said before uh, we started recording that, uh, you know, may you live in interesting times, and both of us agree we're kind of done with the interesting part <laughs> already. Right. Yes, I think as we were saying, you know, between the war in Afghanistan, um, the UN climate uh, uh, paper that came out and the uh, surge in Delta, I'm kind of done with interesting. And I I would go for a big boring about now. Yeah, yeah, me too. I I agree with you. I I would much prefer that. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I know you've got um, some things to tell us right off the bat. How are things uh, where you are? Well, you know, on that note, I'm going to show my uh, slides because I just would like to just because it's easier. There's just so much, frankly, going on. It'd just be easier if I could show my slides than to actually verbally talk through this stuff. So, you know, the question is, where are we right now? Um, Wow. Uh, (laughs) uh, I wish we were in better places. Um, And given the amount of vaccine that we have in the United States that still, unfortunately, is in refrigerators uh, we're still in kind of a, a kind of a lousy position. I mean, this is the map of the U.S. Um, and you know, if 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 the red indicated gangrene, I think Florida and the whole southern part of the United States would literally fall off into the abyss. Yeah, that that's quite the um, just solid dark in, in in quite a large swath. It is a mess. And what I would say to you, uh, to your listeners, the New York Times, uh, this is their particular uh, diagrams I'll be talking about over the next few slides. They have a really good digestible uh, process for really taking a lot of data and putting it into something that we can all understand. What's been interesting in watching this map is that all of the southern part of the United States has been lit up for about almost now four weeks. Texas, all the way across to Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, and then down into Florida, which is now almost completely red. But now, interestingly enough, here in the U.S., we've seen Oregon and Washington in the areas that are not well vaccinated. So in the upper northwest, also beginning to light up, which is which is new. 
Um, Nebraska, by the way, does not provide any uh, data to the U.S. about what's going on with COVID. So it's a big unknown. And that's why their state remains white. Here in the United States, public health is managed at the local and state level. And many states can do what they'd like to. And that's what Nebraska has been doing with their data, which is um, interesting. Hmm. Um, Here's where we are today. So here in the U.S., uh, looking at the seven-day rolling average, we have been having, uh, it's actually now 139,872 cases. The last time we were about at this level was about the middle of October on our big climb up in the winter surge. So this is the highest we have been since really the last big uh, winter surge. And, you know, it's tragic. Um, the hospitalizations have really gone up, uh, about a 60% increase over the last two weeks. We're at 83,000 people in the hospital. And increasingly, uh, numbers of individuals who are younger, between mm-hmm. 20 and 50 years of age, and children. And in fact, for example, in Texas, there are no ICU beds for kids uh, with n- numerous kids on ventilators and ICUs filled. And not just Texas, to be honest with you, but all over the South. It's very hard. If you're in a car accident, you have a heart attack. Getting an ICU bed is really, really tough. And I, our deaths have that, gone I heard up. that on a news report actually earlier today. Did you? Um, oh, gosh. I think it was either Louisiana or Alabama. And the person said, you know, I dread someone coming in from a car accident, cancer, um, and then there was a third one um, that she mentioned. And because we don't have anywhere for them. We don't right. have a single bed available in this state. That and is the jaw just dropped going, oh my God. You know. It's horrifying. And that's what was always foretold was that this could actually happen, that we would actually have no ICU beds and in some communities, no hospital beds. So this is a huge, huge issue. Uh, and, and many people have had to delay elective, elective surgeries. Uh, because there's no space for them. There was an article in the Washington Post just yesterday about a man who was shot in a drive-by shooting, has been in the hospital in Texas for 10 days, and they have not been able to do surgery on him simply because they can't spare the staff, et cetera, to do that. So they've been stabilizing him and waiting to do surgery. 10 days. Wow. Oh my God. Right. And it, it, that that's... That's almost a story you would hear in a third world country and no disrespect to anybody, but that you would not hear that in uh, the United States. Right, right. That's the part that is really quite horrifying. Um, Our death toll has gone back up dramatically. And again, as you probably well know, that hospitalizations and deaths are a lagging indicator. Most people really start to get sick around 10 to 12 days post uh, positive tests. So, that's when the hospitalizations go up. And then about another week after that is when people start to die. And so, as you can see now, we were actually almost at 700 deaths um, yesterday. And that's, again, stunning, absolutely stunning. So, we are, you know, unfortunately in terrible shape. And as you can see at the top right-hand side, we still only have 72% of our population that is actually uh, has at least one dose above the age of 12 excuse me, 18, and 62% are fully vaccinated. So again, we have a long way to go and we have all the vaccine of here in this this country and yet we still are not getting the needles in people's arms, which is really, really tragic. 
And this really gives you a really good uh, sort of summary by looking at all of these key indicators. We have the highest rates of cases, as I mentioned, since the big drive uh, of winter last year. Mm. Hospitalizations are now at the highest they've been since literally the, uh, the, the winter of last year. Uh, we're again close to 700 deaths. Uh, we haven't had that since the winter. Uh, and deaths, uh, and remember, are lagging indicators. So I'm expecting that this is going to bounce up here in the next two to three weeks. And that now we're seeing this big rise in the Pacific Northwest. So, uh, you know, I wish I could say to you, Alex, that your southern neighbor was doing better. But I can't say that. So please enlighten me. I hope you are doing better <laughs> in the north. Okay, there's no pressure, Alex, but I hope you're doing better in the north. Uh, well, I wish I could say we are doing better, but um, uh, I, I think it's a fact now we everybody is in a fourth wave. Mm. You know, it's not a potential wave. We are in a fourth wave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, up here, how do I say it nicely? Basically, across the board, everything is starting to trend up. Mm. Uh, in the province of Ontario, uh, where I live, we had six or was it seven? Six or seven days in a row of 500 new cases being reported every day. Um, and then that is a lot for you. That's yeah, a lot. That is a lot. And we have a very large percentage. I forgot. I keep looking at the Canadian numbers, so I can't remember the Ontario number. But we have a very large percentage of people that have been vaccinated and they're still ending up in the, uh, you know, the emergency wards. However, what's interesting is the region where I live, just west of Toronto, mm -hmm. the, uh, I was listening to the radio earlier today, and of all the cases they're getting, 97% are related to the Delta variant. And that 97%, those people have not been vaccinated. They don't want their vaccination or whatever the case may be. But that's who's making up the big bulk. Mm -hmm. Our deaths um, are nearing 27,000 now uh, for the country. Mm -hmm. um, but it's now starting to tick up uh, mm -hmm. slightly. Um, it's not to the degree of what you, you're telling us of what's happening in the U.S., but it is starting to tick up here. Hospitalizations are, are up. Um, active cases are up. Um, and to your point with uh, deaths, because um, we're, we're not sure, you know, all these cases are being reported right now, we're probably going to see a big change in that number. I hope not. Mm -hmm. We may see a change in that number in a week or two mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. it might drastically start to go up. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping not. Mm -hmm. um, and you're mentioning children and there's, uh, and we may talk about this later as well, but there's a big uh, fuss now about should we, put a halt on school openings and university mm -hmm. openings and stop the progress of reopening things right now um, mm -hmm. so that we don't end up with uh, redoing, reliving what we mm -hmm. went through in the fall and winter and spring uh, mm -hmm. of uh, 2020 and 20 earlier this year. Mm -hmm. So um, overall, it's, it's a bleak picture at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. However, there was a very interesting story I just wanted to uh, convey. Um, I, on Facebook, I noticed that a cousin of mine who lives in uh, Alberta was here in uh, the Toronto area. And they noted that everywhere they went, people were wearing masks. Every 
restaurant, every store they went in, they were asked, you know, where have you been? What are you doing? You know, they took their phone wow, number, that's address, great. everywhere they went, everywhere in case, uh, and, you know, a contact number in case, um, you know, somebody else in the restaurant or the store mm-hmm. was identified with, with COVID, wow. they can reach back. And then they went back to their own home in the province of Alberta. And it was like night and day. Mm. They weren't going through the same things. They weren't asked the same questions. And you know, that's interesting because I always, I always think that you're different than America because America is like the, is exactly the same way, the, the place of two worlds, right? So you can go to Texas, Louisiana, Florida. They don't, you know, y'all come and it's all great. And, um, and in my city, you know, people haven't stopped wearing masks um, right. in San Francisco. And, and so I, I just, I, that's so fascinating that you have that same exact behavior in your fair country. Yeah. And at t- Toronto, you can't go anywhere without a mask. They won't mm-hmm. let you do anything. You mm-hmm. know, you, you know, no mask. Don't even come close to us. Don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he went to his home province in Alberta and it was a different, completely different wow. atmosphere. Wow. You know, what's what's fascinating about about this, uh, that your experience that you're sharing about Canada, because your vaccine numbers have really increased rapidly. Oh, yes. Just in a short the, period of time. Right. Yeah. We were really f- uh, far behind on. Uh, right. Uh, but now we're over 64% of people with uh, two doses and we're yeah, over 72% of people with one dose. And it wasn't that long ago that you guys were in the teens. I mean, literally yeah, like we were way behind. We were yeah. way behind the U S we were way behind right. everybody. Right. Yeah. Well, what's fascinating to me based on what you're sharing and your vaccine rates just here in San Francisco, for example, we have about 80% of our population that has had one dose and 77% that's had two. Really, really high, right? So very, yeah. very close to 80%. We are still having a surge here where I want to say the vast majority of people, even walking down the street, have a mask on. And what that says a lot is about the infectious nature of Delta that you can be in a place where there's not that many people who could get sick and by gosh, they're getting sick. We've actually had, we had, you know, like literally like 15 cases a day for months and now we're up to 300. We had like eight or nine people in the hospital. Now we're up to 125. And yet we have a very, very high, if not the highest vaccine rate in the United States with great care when people are out and about. So that says a lot about the infectious nature of Delta, but it also says how much we're going to have to really work Mm -hmm. to really get our arms around this thing. And it's going to be 90 plus percent vaccine that will make the difference. And if not, then we're just going to be living like this for probably quite a while. Well, I'm hoping that uh, a lot more people, and then we're going to touch on it, but I'll just mention it quickly here that, um, we'll start getting their vaccines uh, very soon uh, because we're starting to see in the news. And I think you're going to bring this up in our next segment that all kinds of organizations and at least in Canada, government agencies and departments are saying you have to get vaccinated period or too bad. And surprisingly enough today, the premier of Ontario, same thing as a governor down in the U S for anyone Mm -hmm. who doesn't know, uh, mentioned that there were two people in his cabinet that haven't been identified as fully vaccinated. 
-hmm. He told them, you have 48 hours to make a choice, get vaccinated in those 48 hours, or you're losing your position. Wow. I'm impressed. I was impressed when I heard that too. It's like, well, good for you. You know, that's great. That's great. I mean, that, you know, I, people need to be a role model and they need to move forward and they, everybody needs to get vaccinated and your leaders, our leaders need to do exactly the same. Yeah. I, I was impressed when I heard that because, and his reasoning was you're working for the government. You are elected by the people. You are working for the people and you mm-hmm. cannot uh, intermingle with them, you know, in your post and not be vaccinated in, in these times. It's irresponsible. So you either get vaccinated or goodbye. Impressive. So I I was impressed to hear that. And on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps today about all things COVID. And I know the next couple of segments are going to be a little tough. Um, (laughs) But we'll, we'll get through it, I'm sure. We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience, along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps once again, and we are talking about the latest happenings with COVID. And Regina, the next part of what you want to tell us um, isn't quite as rosy, I guess I could say. Hmm, yeah, I guess that rosy would not be the word I would use to describe it. I think it's 
it's we're, we're at that moment in the pandemic where I think it's really important that we kind of uh, stop and think about what could happen. Now, um, I will tell you, Alex, that even the smartest and brightest epidemiologists and infectious disease docs, I mean, none of us really know what's really going to happen. There's a lot of theories about what could happen. There's some concerning things, though, based on science that could actually occur based on the fact that we have vaccines rolling out still, like here in the United States and in Canada and around the world. We have a lot of people that are partially immunized. We have people who have immunocompromised conditions. And now with this rapid spread of Delta, which is a much nastier version of the earlier versions of the virus, that we have a lot more things that we can be concerned about. And I wanted to share some things because my clients constantly ask me, and one of the things I spend a good part of my day on the phone talking about is, well, what do you think is going to happen? Or what's, what's, what mm. are the scientists actually looking at? And so I do have some potential things to consider when we are looking to the next few months based on Delta, the spread of Delta, the transmission of it, the fact that it's being able to more effectively infect vaccinated people, uh, and what this all means. So I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about the potential of the emergence of vaccine-resistant variants. So what do I, what do I mean by that? So right now, we are in a really uh, right condition for the emergence of vaccine-resistant variants, and it's really because of three reasons. One is that people are, a lot of people are partially vaccinated. So you were just mentioning that you had people in, that you were aware of or you'd seen in the news because of their positions, they were partially but not fully vaccinated. We know from the research already that you, if you get, if you got Pfizer, for example, that about 33% of the effectiveness of that one dose, if you only got one dose, it's only 33% effective against the variant. But if you get two doses, of course, it ramps it up to exceeding 90%. Now, when you are partially vaccinated, one dose of Pfizer or Moderna, what happens is that you can become infected much more easily. And while you're in, you know, that virus is inhabiting your body, what's happening is it's constantly attempting to reproduce. And because it's a little harder for it to reproduce as it would in a total a person who has no vaccine at all, what can happen is this kind of continual over and over and over as it's trying to reproduce, what can happen is that it can begin to be more creative. It becomes mm -hmm. to throw a new possibilities in its reproduction because, you know, the virus itself is not a very good copier. So it's always making mistakes. But when it's trying to live, I remember, I remember that's the whole deal, right? It's trying to surpass itself over the vaccine protection that you have in a partially vaccinated person, it can become more and more creative. And when it does that, there's always the potential that it could actually create a new variant that is going to be more effective at getting over the protection of a vaccine. So that's a big concern when we have lots of people that are partially vaccinated. And here in the United States now, people are increasing their vaccine rate but, you know, you, you have to wait, as you know, for a period of several weeks after your first dose to get your second dose. And then you're not fully vaccinated for about six weeks. So during that time, these individuals could start to create a situation in their body where that virus is actually 
reproducing and trying to overcome the vaccine. So that's one group of people, the partially vaccinated. The second group of people, about 3% of the people in the U.S., it's probably similar in Canada, have, uh, have some immunized, immunocompromised immune system, uh, which means maybe they're on cancer treatments and therefore it's suppressing your immune system. Perhaps they have a transplant. Really, one of my closest friends has got a double lung transplant. He can't make any antibodies. And so he's, he's had two vaccines and he actually has made none. Um, so because they don't have a very good immune response, they're very similar to those individuals who are not um, fully vaccinated. So this is what's called incomplete viral suppression. So you can't really push down the virus. So what happens is it has this ability to mutate. And so we are now in a very dangerous position because of partially vaccinated individuals and these immunocompromised folks. So that's the first thing that we should all be thinking about, like, wow. So that's now, why if you, if you know people that aren't fully vaccinated, they need to get it. A lot of people that I know now are fully vaccinated. At mm-hmm. least everybody in my bubble and my family, everyone is um, uh, fully vaccinated. So at least personally, I, I'm okay. But uh, I know there are other people who are still hesitant about taking it. And I'm glad you brought this up because I was thinking that, okay, we're dealing with Delta, but I remember months ago they changed everything, uh, the namings to um, uh, the Greek alphabet. The Greek alphabet, alphabet, right? A, E, C, D. And I thought, well, if we're already on D and people aren't vaccinated or getting their needles, does that mean we have the potential of an E? I don't know what that is, epsilon or... Epsilon, right. Oh, it is? Yeah, there already is an epsilon. There already is an epsilon. We're already up to L, actually. We're up to lambda. Really? Yeah. I, I haven't heard too much about anything like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if, we're moving quite along in the alphabet. Yikes. Okay, mm-hmm. that's even mm-hmm. more worrisome. Mm-hmm. So I think the thing that your listeners need to be aware of is that there is the potential. You know, if we don't, if this doesn't happen, that would be a great thing. But it's, a, it's something that's really concerning a lot of infectious disease and epidemiologists because we are, again, in this very tenuous position of a lot of partially vaccinated people and a fair number of immunocompromised. And that's a big issue. Uh, the next one, I think you mentioned this earlier about kids back in school. Here in the U.S., uh, schools already st- started in many parts of the country and kids are going back. So remember that here in the United States, I don't know about Canada, I'm assuming it might be similar, is that uh, you can't vaccinate kids that are under the age of 12. Yeah. So that means you have a lot of kids in school that are not going to be vaccinated. So the average age of kids being hospitalized with COVID, as I mentioned earlier, is starting to drop. And so uh, in the first week of August, there were 203 kids under the age of 18 that were admitted in hospitals here in the United States. And that is um, just only slightly below the peak of January 2021. So we're seeing a lot more sick kids. Um, and the other thing that we have is that we don't have a big uptake in adolescents taking the vaccine here in the U.S. Only less than 5% of the adolescents in the U.S. are fully vaccinated. How about in the, Canada? Do you have any sense about what the age breakdown is where you are? It, uh, it is the same, 12, 12 mm-hmm. years old and up. Um, I do know, um, speaking with my niece who just turned 12 uh, about a week ago, 
um, she had her needle on her birthday. <laughs> Good for her. What a what? She was happy. She was quite happy. She goes, thank goodness. You know, I now have my needle and um, she's waiting to get her next one. Uh, mm-hmm. Her friends that are around the same age and that she goes to school with are also getting their needles. Great. Um, and I don't know if it's maybe a rural thing and, uh, you know, uh, but they're seeing, I, I don't hear about people that live out in the country doing it, but people in the cities I'm hearing are doing it. That's good. So I, I don't know. I don't know enough people to kind of ask about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. what's, what's happening in the thinking, you know, with people that live out in the country, maybe because they don't come across as many people as people mm-hmm. in the city do. So maybe that's part of it, but um, uh, 12 and up can get a shot, but I think it's only the Pfizer uh, shot. Right. Only Pfizer. Right. Yeah. And uh, so the same thing are, is happening and uh, adolescents, you know, people 16, 17, 18, you know, I have uh, read reports that, you know, they're in that mentality that, you know, we had when we were that age, you know, nothing can hurt me. So (laughs) Right, right. There is still a, a large group of them not getting vaccinated. You know, mm-hmm. they think they're impervious to everything. You know, and mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. the way the teenage mind works. Absolutely, you absolutely. When well, you mentioned the difference here between uh, in, in Canada between rural uptake of vaccines versus uh, urban centers, we have the same thing in the United States. The urban centers are much more vaccinated than the rural centers, and our rural areas are much more conservative politically. Uh, and there's a there's a huge difference in the United States between conservative individuals and more more liberal leaning, I suppose, in getting vaccinated. Uh, the thing I think is, and you see that with also also with schools and rules about vaccines for adolescents, but also rules about masking. And I'm sure you've been following in the United States. There's a variety of states, Texas in particular, and Florida, where the governors have uh, created mandates that schools cannot mandate um, vaccines. They cannot mandate masks. Uh, And so that's become a huge issue uh, of which uh, there was just actually a news piece I just saw that two school boards in Florida are being reprimanded by the state school board because they went against the governor's mandate for masks and wanted masks on every kid. So I think this is going to really play out in some challenging ways this fall with more kids getting sick, there was already a school district that opened and they were, were they already closed within one week in Florida because they had a large number of students that turned positive. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be a big issue uh, as we get into the fall. And just think about what we talked about last year, all the people with kids, all the workers with kids uh, that are now potentially having to do homeschooling uh, with Zoom. Uh, and I think that's a potential for this fall as well. Yeah, exactly. uh, a lot of the same things are happening up here. Uh, just yesterday or today, I forget what it was, but the Toronto District School Board and a few others released their recommendations as well. And they are uh, telling everyone, if you're going to school, teachers have to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, students have to wear masks. You're not going to have the big cafeteria gatherings. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, if you're eating lunch, you have to eat it in your classroom and stay with your class. Uh, they're students were given the option of uh, going to school or uh, continuing learning from home. And I mm-hmm. think there was about 20% that still wanted to stay at home. And now with um, looking ahead with the way the Delta variant is uh, heading, that there's already um, 
grumblings, shall we say, about going back to, you know, we, it's too risky to bring kids in to, right. to schools now because it's kids that are, or I shouldn't say kids, but it's the younger uh, population that are now. Can't be vaccinated. Yeah, that can't be vaccinated and are now more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you might have been able to take a risk before, but now you can't take that risk. Right. You know, so right. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I know in Alberta, and I hate to pick on Alberta because I know I mentioned them earlier. <laughs> you are, but, you're picking but, on them. <laughs> you know, I don't, don't mean to, but they had uh, suggested uh, a while back that when schools start, there won't be mask, mas- mask mandates. They're going to open everything up. Well, they've now taken a step back. And they are changing their mind saying, yeah, okay, maybe students should be wearing masks mm-hmm. and maybe we shouldn't be opening all this stuff. And now they're starting to rethink their strategy based on what's happening with the, um, the vulnerable population right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole mask issue, again, has been politicized in the US the entire pandemic. But I think what people need to think about with kids in particular is that there's source control, which means if I'm the infected person, I, if source control is where I'm wearing a mask, and I'm retaining most of that virus with me. But then also with the fact that Delta spreads so easily, the fact that everybody around me, even if I am masked and potentially sick, although I wouldn't know it, uh, everybody around me wearing a mask just increases the security and safety exponentially. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's just such a simple thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it'll be interesting to see if anyone does start um, changing. Yeah. The next week, because I, I know you mentioned in the U.S. people are back in school or have already opened. We don't open our schools officially until uh, the day after Labor Day. So oh, I think oh, here oh, that's yeah. September 7th. Yeah, so we used be- to do that years ago. And then they, they decided somehow the summer was a good time to open. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't have well, to, so I don't know all the reasons and r- rationale for this. But <laughs> well, north, north of the border, we don't get a lot of warm weather for extended periods. So, <laughs> you know, right. so we, we definitely keep our summers open for, you know, camping and things like that. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in the yeah. next two to three weeks before as that date approaches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's two other things I wanted to mention about why uh, we're in kind of a precarious position as well. Uh, the vaccine Potency is beginning to diminish already for the healthcare workers. Uh, you know, they actually got their vaccines first. They started in December of last year in the United States. And so, again, what they've actually observed in Israel and some other studies with Pfizer and Moderna is that the eff- efficacy of the vaccine is diminishing over time. So there's been studies that say it gets down to 84%. Some of the uh, studies out of Israel said it went down to a six, 60% after about six months. There's also increased uh, cases occurring now in vaccinated healthcare professionals, which begin to also, not, not only does the research in a test tube show that the efficacy of the vaccine diminishes over time, but we're actually seeing that in healthcare workers. But again, remember, Delta is much more infectious. Uh, people are producing a high, much higher viral load. And of course, they're hanging, they're, their work is where they, even though they're fully suited up, there's always the potential of exposure. So, Again, hospitals are um, a, a kind of a little bit of a test tube, if you will, as um, people, are, again, are tired, they're burned out, they're working long shifts. Uh, there's always a potential when people get tired and burned out that they are not maybe as uh, appropriate in all of their processes. So maybe there's that going on as well. But the fact that the efficacy of the vaccine is diminishing means we have more people that are being 
exposed, potentially. And as you might have heard that uh, Biden actually approved third doses for healthcare workers, for people yes. in uh, long-term mm-hmm. care, and for people over the age of 65, starting on September 20th, I believe, which is really trying to really fulfill these, these healthcare workers in particular. And then, of course, you know, winter's coming. And you know what happens in the winter? Well, you know, you know better than anybody where you live, my gosh, that, you know, the everybody goes inside. And so SARS-CoV-2 happens to like a drier environment. So you take, you know, forced uh, heat in a building, dries out the air, the humidity drops down, it makes it a little happier. It's a lot easier to spread when people are more clustered together in a home. Um, and so the idea that you've got low humidity, you've got people that are closer together, and if you're in a poorly ventilated space, remember this is an aerosol-borne disease, it's all about transmission, 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 and being able to pass it easily from one person to the next. And so if we are in a situation in a, a closed environment like a, somebody's living room and everybody's vaccinated, but you know somebody could have picked it up and mm-hmm. they're very close to you you know, you could easily become infected. And so the winter is going to be, I think, potentially a big challenge for us. If we don't get a, a grip on things basically immediately, right. we could have another wave like we had last winter. Which would be horrific. Uh, devastating. Absolutely devastating, I, th- I think. And yeah. it won't be the old people so much that are getting really super sick. It's going to be younger people. Right. Uh, I also have a concern for all the healthcare workers. How much longer can they keep going? I'm I'm deeply concerned about them. I am deeply concerned about them. They're just burned out, fried, and and angry at people that are not getting vaccinated and people that are you know doing inappropriate behaviors. Yeah, yeah, uh, I really feel for them, and I know uh, I think it was maybe four or five episodes ago. We I I talked about a survey where up to thirty percent at least 30, it was 30 or 40% of people in that industry want to change their job or leave their job altogether. Mm-hmm. Well, what's going to happen for the, for the poor person in a year from now who ha- who's in an accident or that a person that gets shot, so that the, the example you used earlier on? Mm-hmm. There's literally going to be no one. There might be a bed, but there's no one to look after or them. Staff. And a bed doesn't do you much good unless you have good professionally trained staff. Exactly, exactly. And I think on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps, and we will be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to the Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. 
She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps uh, about COVID variants, uh, the Delta variant, and where we are. Regina, um, I know you still got a few more points you want to bring forward and, um, uh, you know, what, what's what's the next happy thing you want to tell us? <laughs> yeah, I'm just full of such good news today, aren't I? Uh, what I was really talking about is all the things that we should be losing sleep over. And there's really two more that I think that are really important to really mention. And, and that is that most of the world is not vaccinated. And I know uh, we have talked about this many, 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 many times, but the rich countries have pretty much consumed three quarters of all the vaccine that has been given to date. And so less than a third of the population of the world um, has access to vaccine. And you see that certainly when you look at the map of Africa. There are many countries in Africa that have less than 1% of their population vaccinated. And so there's two reasons that we should be deeply concerned about this. One, of course, the blatantly obvious one is the humanitarian issue. The sheer amount of pain and suffering of many of these countries with very low vaccines. You're seeing that right now in Indonesia, which is the fourth largest populated country in the world, where people are dropping like flies and they are building gigantic cemeteries with big backhoes because that's the, they're having such an incredibly high death rate right now. And the second really issue that we should be thinking about besides humanitarian is the issue related to the fact that we are doing it strategically to protect our vaccines. Any place in the world where you have widespread transmission, you have the opportunity for variants to occur. Where did Delta come from? India. So remember that it's not just what is brewed in your backyard that you should be concerned about. You should be thinking about variants and the lack of vaccines all over the world. So if we continue to hoard vaccine in the wealthier countries, the the pandemic will not be over. And secondarily, we are always at risk for having a significant variant appear someplace else in the world and ending up in your backyard. So that's a huge issue to think about going forward. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave this sort of one segment of uh, talking about, you know, what could happen going forward. Uh, this is actually the modeling group, COVID modeling, COVID-19 modeling hub that actually the CDC uses for its uh, forecasting. And so there's basically four different versions of this particular map. I'm going to have you focus really what the one that's on the lower left-hand side. Uh, What you see when you see the graph with the little circles in it, that's really where we are right now. Um, And you can see where we were in the winter. That's that big far peak that you see to the far left-hand side. 
the different grays that you see in this model are what, what could potentially happen. And what you see in the lower right-hand side is low vaccination with high transmission, which is what we're doing right now in the U.S. So I want you to think about where we are. Look at the black line with the little dots and look at the dark gray example that you see. That's where we could go again. And so what you'll see is that that would be essentially leading where we are now, we're, we're, we're actually ahead of the model. That's never good, by the way, Alex, to be ahead of the model. Uh, and we're ahead of the model. And you can see if we continued with high transmission and low vaccine rates here in the U.S., we would look like that. And we would be very close to what we looked like last winter. And so, again, this does not have to happen. If we had a higher vaccine update in the U.S., we would expect those numbers to look more like the top left-hand side, which is low transmission with high vaccine rates. And as you can see, if that was to happen, uh, that big peak doesn't occur. Um, and so that's what we really need to think about. I'm sure probably your modeling, if, you were, I were, if I was to see yours for Canada, would be very, very similar. Yeah. But, you know, people say, well, what should I be thinking about for the fall, late summer fall and winter, you can see the options here. And it's all based on vaccine and transmission. You know, it begs the question just to ask people, you know, haven't you learned anything? Mm. You know, we're Um, on a fourth wave. Have you learned nothing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. the, 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 The lack of interest in in science and the and the the way that people hold on to their beliefs of uh, information that they've found on Facebook and Twitter, I still don't understand. And I I work really hard to talk with people with <clears throat> as much compassion as I can possibly muster to listen to what they have to say. But I find it really frustrating. It's almost like, well, excuse me, if you were having open heart surgery, would you talk to your uncle on Facebook about what he thinks you should do? I mean, wouldn't you go like to the Mayo Clinic website and ask them what you should do? I mean, really? Or or a vaccine that cures all cancer? Yeah, right. Would you be acting the same way? Right, right. Yeah, it makes me crazy. Yeah. But but anyway, that's a little preview for your uh, listeners to think about. You know, we have some choices here to make. And if we make some better choices, we could have a less painful future. If we make poor choices, the future is not so great as far as the amount of um, cases, which then ultimately leads to hospitalizations and deaths, as we well know. Yeah. And possibly long COVID. So I know we want to talk a little bit about long COVID. Mm. Do you mind if I just jump right in? Sure. Well, you know, the hard thing about uh the coronavirus is that it's not like the flu. And remember, everybody used to say, oh, it's just like the flu. No. It's not, and it's primarily not because of the type of infection that, it, that um, it creates in a certain group of cells in your body. And those are called ACE2 cells. Um, ACE2 cells are present in your human body in many places, not just the lungs. It's present in uh, pretty much all of the brain, all of the neurological system, all of your blood vessels, and through your entire gastrointestinal system. So when you look at long COVID and you look at the types of symptoms that people have, which 
range greatly from things like brain fog and cardiovascular disease and clots in their legs, et cetera. It's because of the, of the different cells that the virus actually attacks. And that's why long COVID is such a big deal. Uh, what's defined as long COVID is if you actually have symptoms that persist for four weeks after you have been infected. So you'll see a lot of people that will have continuous brain fog that doesn't get any better for months Hmm. um, or things such as shortness of breath after walking a short amount of distance. They would then be categorized as long COVID. About 10% of the people that are infected, whether they were seriously ill or had were even asymptomatic, can actually develop long COVID. I've actually seen studies as high as 20% of the people that get COVID, but certainly the most common number I see is 10%. Uh, Now, it's not just people that are older, although that's certainly been a a group of people with long COVID, Uh, also people with compromised immune systems. It can be simply people that just, that's it. Well, that that could change now, right? Because the previous waves was the, I don't want to say older people, but right, uh, right. it's not kids, but now we're dealing with Delta variant, which is uh, a younger uh, populace being infected. Now the younger uh, generations could be impacted by this. or, or Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. And you're seeing kids right now with long COVID. <clears throat> kids. Wow. Um, who can't walk across the street because uh, they're short of breath. It, it interestingly affects more women than men statistically, uh, and it's very that's not uncommon. There are other kind of viral syndromes like this that affect more women than men, and it's probably it has to do something with reproduction and the effect that that has on our immune system overall compared to men. But it's uh, a few more percentage points women than men, but other than that, it's pretty much equal across the board. Um, there are a bunch of um, uh, symptoms and effects. Uh, areas of the body that are affected. So there is now a medical term for what long COVID is. Uh, it's PASC, PASC, which essentially is post-acute sequela of COVID-19. That's the medical diagnosis, but everybody calls it long COVID because it's just easier. And you can just see from this slide, there are a lot of things that can be impacted. First of all, in your pulmonary system. So shortness of breath, uh, dyspnea, people that can't walk any distance at all without being acutely short of breath. And that's actually a significant and one of the most common side effects uh, in long COVID is this persistent shortness of breath. 40 to 60% plus of people with long COVID have severe problems with their breathing. But there's a fair number of cardiac issues as well. So for example, things like chest pain, palpitations, Uh, inflammation of the heart muscle. You've seen that as a side effect of the uh, virus or of the vaccine in some cases. Uh, It's what the the virus does to you uh, naturally will be inflame your heart. Uh, There have been people that have had um, um, things such as rapid heartbeat. There have been heart attacks. Uh, So a, a lot of cardiac symptoms. Hematologically, it causes clotting. And so you'll have people that will have pulmonary embolisms strokes, which of course are, are caused often by, by, um, by uh, clotting, but also deep uh, muscle, uh, deep, deep leg thrombosis. So you have a clot in your leg. So uh, that's all significant issues. 
Uh, hematologically, that's a, that's, that's a concern because you'll have people that can, again, have these going on for long periods of time. The neuropsychiatric ones are really fascinating and unfortunately really scary. So this chronic malaise where people have no energy at all. Uh, Malaysia, which they, again, they they're, have body aches all over their body for no particular reason. Uh, depression, uh, poor sleep. So they may be able to sleep all night, but they wake up and they don't feel rested at all. Brain fog is really, really common. Um, and you hear people often with long COVID complain about not able to remember things, not able to keep things in their brain, uh, forgetting stuff, um, almost as if you think that they had early dementia. Uh, migraine headaches, and also some psychiatric symptoms where people actually start acting unusually. And then lastly, um, if that wasn't enough already, is renal-related issues. And this is where, again, think of the clotting. You know, your kidneys actually are filled with small little blood vessels, and they can actually, again, be filled with clots uh, in, in this long COVID syndrome. And so they actually uh, have severe kidney damage and they end up on dialysis. So those are actually really significant. And we can talk about this when I see you next month, I think. Yes, because we've come to the end of our show. And uh, wow. Sorry for leaving on such a bummer, huh? (laughs) Well, just when we think we're taking a step forward in some areas, we just keep getting drawn back into, you know, the, well, the not so happy areas. But you know, this, this is reality. This is what we've got to really focus on to be able to move forward. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Regina, thanks again for sharing your expertise and time. Uh, there was, you know, uh, I know I've made the joke, you know, the rosy information and, you know, all the happy things you were telling us, but, you know, I think people really need to understand this stuff, you know, as we move forward and why it's happening. So I really appreciate you uh, educating us on some of this information. You're welcome. And we'll talk more next month, I bet. We will. And uh, we'll touch on uh, long COVID again as well. And to everybody uh, listening and watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.